This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Saints for a touchdown! Each your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! All right, Houdat Nation, welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. And we are post-Super Bowl, also post-Mardi Gras. Hope everybody survived. Oh, man. Yeah, it's it's... The day after Fat Tuesday, which is also called Ash Wednesday, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I was talking to somebody uh, about, you know, this was a really early, early Mardi Gras compared to next year when it's in March. And they were telling me how they prefer it later. And I, I don't prefer it later. I prefer it the way it was because I kind of wait. So you have like Thanksgiving then Christmas, then New Year. And then you kind of have this month in between where it's like, do I be healthy in January or do I just wait it out? until after Mardi Gras, because I can only keep my body without poisoning it for so long. So like when it's done in February, I get to, I get to now and I'm like, okay, all right. Okay. I can, I can figure myself, my life out for a second. Whereas like if it's in March, it's like half the year (laughs) with me being this, this way. So anyway, I prefer it, but how was your Mardi Gras, Steve? Did you, did you get into it? Yeah, definitely had a good time. Uh, happy it's all over, though, just because of the crowds and traffic nonsense makes everything a little bit easier. But obviously, while it's going on, you have a blast. The kiddo, uh, my 13-year-old, had a great time with his friends. They're busy just doing all their own thing kind of deal. But, um, yeah, over overall, though, and thankfully, the weather gods cooperated with everything. We had a fantastic time. Yeah, the only real storms happened overnight, so we were able right. to avoid. There was there was one Sunday that or one Saturday that I think the parades got washed out, but otherwise we were good. That's what I think people don't around here that don't don't live around here might not realize is it's like by the time you get to Fat Tuesday, it's like you everyone's exhausted. Like it's a it's a marathon just to get to that point. Like that's not necessarily the party day. That's the I made it day, and obviously there's parties too, but. You know, we're, we're going to get into, well, we, 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 we're not going to sit here and talk about Marty Gras the whole time, right? Where this is a Saints podcast, we're going to talk about the Saints. So we're going to dive a good bit into Clint Kubiak, right, in the second and third segment. You know, they have, it's, it's official, quote unquote, official. The Saints have not announced it as the, at the time that we are recording this. And it's super obnoxious <laughs> be, anytime this happens, because I guarantee you by the time someone listens to this podcast, it will have been announced or at least at least Clint will have been announced. The question I have is, okay, how many other coaches are going to announce? Right. We'll talk about that toward the end. I want to push that toward the end of this podcast, just in case maybe we can, maybe we'll luck breaking out. Breaking news on the pod. Yeah, and those and those announcements will come right while we're recording this. But we're recording this around noon on Wednesday. So if you're listening and you're like, well, why aren't they talking about this? If it happened after noon on Wednesday. Yeah, it's it's tough, but that's that's the life we lead in recording things. So we're going to talk about that. I want to talk about his time with the Vikings. I have some clips of uh, inter- interviews with Clint from back then. You know, where there's not a ton to talk about from you know his time with the Broncos in terms of interviews. I can go back and watch, right? Um, and also yeah. the 49ers. Yeah, you mentioned that that was something during Super Bowl week. I'm like, oh, it's media night. We'll hear from Clint Kubiak. It's like 
No, you idiot. They don't bring the passing game coordinator to the podium. Right. Well, it's like I, it's like Bob Bicknell worked for the Saints for two years. Did he talk once? Like maybe, but not publicly and not anywhere that you could find the recording of it. So anyway, we, yeah. there isn't a ton to to kind of dive into in terms of, you know, him talking about the 49ers offense. But there is a ton from the Vikings. And I think we may have overlooked that a bit in terms of the importance that his Vikings tenure will have sure. while we kind of get excited about the Shanahan of it all. But first things first, I do want to talk about Mardi Gras a little bit more, mostly in the sense of, you know, I think when you're, when you play for a team in new Orleans, it's important to embrace the culture of, of new Orleans. And not everyone, not everyone does that the same way. Yeah. Not everyone goes out to parades or goes on floats or whatever, but more often than not, particularly new, new people to new Orleans, you'll see them, you know, embrace the parades and, you know, I'll share my screen here for a bit and kind of go into like, you know, there, we did see some, some saints players out at parades, right? Like uh, that's, we have, uh, you know, a lot of the Saints players here riding in tucks, right? Nephi Sewell's out there. He probably just had ACL surgery. He's limping around. You got Peyton Turner's on that float. You know, Peyton Turner's done more at Mardi Gras than he has done for the Saints. Oh! <laughs> Colin Saunders, uh, Malcolm Roach, Eric McCoy, DeMarco Jackson. You know, you got, you got guys out there. You got guys having a good time, you know? But one of my favorite images of Mardi Gras this year uh, was actually Rashid Shahid uh, because he took one of the, he took a nice long ride in one of these uh, cozy reclining chairs that I don't I need, know. What do they, what do they mean? One of those. I, I've, I've always assumed they like take like a electric wheelchair and just, you know, take the chair off it and put a lazy boy recliner on it. For sure. Right. But those things move, right? Those things go quick. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever watched that part of the parade, those things are zipping by. And I'm sure he had a great old time on, uh, on one of those. Uh, the Saints tweeted out a picture of it, videos of it. There's a lot. And the Saints are more than ready. They're always ready to document this and send it out. You know, I don't have a picture of it, but Jameis Winston was also out at parades taking pictures. I know he danced around with Margaret Orr for a little yeah. bit. You know, it's just it's just the image of a player, of a person embracing the city that they play football in. You know, they're not from here, right? None of these guys are from New Orleans. Malcolm Roach is the closest in terms of being from Baton Rouge. But, you know, these are just players who are embracing the atmosphere of New Orleans. And, and that just brings me to one thing that I am very – I'm probably being overly critical of this, right? No, I hear you. Where's QB1? Where the hell is Derek Carr, right? And so I'll tell you where Derek Carr was. He was speaking at a mega church in Las Vegas on Super Sunday. You know, there's only one Super Sunday at the Super Bowl. It's in New Orleans where this man plays quarterback, but instead he was, you know, as Bacchus was rolling in New Orleans, he's talking at a church in Las Vegas. And I don't know how long ago this was planned. Maybe it's something that he agreed to last year before he signed out with the saints. And he's just there. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that Mardi Gras goes for a month. You're right. Right. And Derek Carr has parade age children. You know, I do, I wasn't here in 2006. I don't know what Drew Brees did over the first couple Mardi Gras in the city. I know his kids were a lot, you, you know, they were younger, you know, we're talking about Balin. You remember the picture of him holding up Balin at the Super Bowl? I mean, how old was he? Three, four, like he was a toddler. Had to be right. So, yeah. you know, in 2006, three years earlier, it's not like he had parade age children. Derek Carr has three children who are the exact age you'd want to bring out to a parade. What, what the hell? Like go on his Instagram, right? Go, go. He, he's like, you, I don't, I don't want to say it's like a photo op thing, but at the same time, when you're the quarterback of the new Orleans saints, it's about more than just playing football in the city. The city needs to feel like you are embracing the city. And one easy layup way to do that is to go hang out at a goddamn parade for an hour, take a picture with your kids and post it on Instagram so that people can see that you are embracing the city and the culture. I don't even care if you're in Metairie. Heck, go to Slide Hell. <laughs> like, go to a goddamn parade during Mardi Gras season. And if you did go to a parade and didn't show that to people, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think he would. You know, and there was the whole thing about the parade float and, and Derek Carr, the zombie Derek Carr, and he did reply to that, right? right? And he was a good sport about it, which is it's just great. I think that's something he he had to do 
<laughs> he had to reply to it. And otherwise it would have seemed like, oh, he's just mad about it. I don't know. Like that bothers me just in the sense of like one of the, you know, it was a lot easier for Drew because the expectations were a lot lower in 2006. They immediately went to the NFC championship. Three years later, they won a Super Bowl. And I had people saying, well, you know, they never put Drew Brees on one of these satirical floats. And I will tell you, you're wrong. <laughs> you don't play quarterback for the Saints for 15 years and not end up on a joke float at some point or another, right? Like, it's a little more difficult to make fun of Drew Brees because he's the Super Bowl champion. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Whereas Derek Carr in year one struggled, got hurt constantly and played through it and had these obvious red zone issues that they were making fun of on the float. So it's much more low hanging fruit that you can get to. And I think the float builders nailed it. It was a great looking float, but I, I don't know. One of the, one of the, I've had people say this to me and it's a, one of the criticisms that I think is very valid as it pertains to Derek Carr. And there's, there's football criticisms you can make and there's football points you can make. But one of the criticisms I've heard that I can't sit there and say, no, you're completely off base, is I don't think Derek Carr understands New Orleans. I don't know if he necessarily has embraced the city in a way that the quarterback of the Saints needs to. You're the closest thing to a politician that you could have on an NFL team. You know, I don't need to see the coordinators or the coaches, I, but I do need to see the quarterback. I do need to see the guy who you're supposed to go out to these games and cheer for as if he's a part of the city. And right now, it feels like Derek Carr plays quarterback in New Orleans. And, and that's, the, that's the end of it, right? No, like, totally if, he left, that, yeah. if he left this offseason, what would, what would his impact be in the city beyond the Superdome? That he ate Chipotle when he first got here and he doesn't like Mardi Gras. Oh, I don't even know if he cares for, I don't, I don't know if he likes Mardi Gras or not. That's the point is I don't even have any indication one way or another that he's aware it exists. And to me, that's an issue. And like, just like, you know, one of the reasons that everyone loves Jameis is because he's visible because he's out there partying because he's having a good time the same way the city is. And I, I don't know. I, I would love to hear his explanation for why he wasn't involved in anything this Mardi Gras season, or at least wasn't, didn't do so visibly. I just don't think it's a good look. And that's, that's all I'm going to say on it. I don't need to rant all day about it, but it, I, I do think that that's a valid criticism. No, you're right there. The fact that you didn't even see him out at any single parade. We're not saying you got to be riding in the thing, throwing, throwing stuff to folks, but to have you and the family out on any parade route, like you were saying, downtown, Metairie, you know, uh, North Shorts, just somewhere to see you out and about amongst the locals that I think that is pretty key and, and like playing better will, will be the biggest solve to all right, of these. Absolutely. Right? If he comes out next season and plays great, there will be a lot less criticism thrown at Derek Carr. You won't hear the booze. Right. But I do think that it should be something on his radar that he needs to ingratiate himself into this city, into this culture in some way, in some way. And, and this would have been just a very easy way to, to kind of make inroads in that process. And I don't think he took advantage of it. And, and, and it's frustrating to see. And plus, like, these kids don't want to go to parades? I don't know. I, I, it's, it's weird. But I can't imagine any kid doesn't want to go to a parade here. Right. Or any parade in general, catch, honestly. Who doesn't want to catch garbage from a float? I love it. Kids love it. Anyway. I, I do want to close out this segment uh, going hearing from Cam Jordan. He talked on the Around the NFL podcast. Do you, you grab that audio for us? And uh, I'm not even going to lead into it. Let's just let's just hear what Cam had to say. Key Loomis said something about after the season. This is what, what struck me of that. Like, we, we need to do some changes maybe with the roster and personnel to improve the culture. And that mm. that that comment was like, hmm, improve the culture. Because when they hired Dennis Allen, they were like, we're keeping Dennis Allen because we want to keep this culture going. He's the guy that's been there and been running this defense. So, like, what do you, what do you think Mickey Lewis is, is talking about there, like, with the culture? I've was never, there? I've learned to forth? not put my GM hat on. I okay. Have, yeah, I've, I've, I've played this game, and it never worked out well. I was like, yeah, this is what we're <laughs> going to do with the draft. This is how we're doing it. This is what our team needs. And have been completely wrong. Mm. You know, so uh, I was like, yeah, we're going to get a defensive end. And then in the first round, we got a corner. And I was like, and then we got back into the first round. And I was like, oh, this is the DN time. And then we went offensive tackle, which turned out to be a phenomenal draft. So you learn to shut the hell up and let the uh, up top do what they're supposed to do. 
they're supposed to want more. If we're, we're, we're three years dry of playoffs, and maybe there, a, a culture shock needs to be happen. I think there's there's a core group of our players that uh, push positivity and whatever it is. And, and in fact, I loved our locker room this year. But if our locker room isn't winning at a high rate, things are going to have to shake. And one day they're going to be like, hey, Cam, it's your time, bud. And I'm like, hey, I hope the Saints keep on winning. Whatever mm. it takes, I just want the Saints to win. You know, and I, I think he makes some good points there, which one, you know, it is funny because you in the past you had heard him be a little more kind of forward and like, oh, yeah, I'd love it. It's DF to D tackle time, defensive oh, line right. time in the draft. And he, I, I don't know, maybe maybe he heard some uh, feedback on that from uh, up top. I don't know. But it, it, it's it, it's true. Like you you look at this locker room and there are a lot of positive forces, positive elements in it. But when you're not winning, that really draws attention to the cracks that form. And, you know, it's not, it, sometimes it is as simple as winning games and that, and that helps your everything kind of feel better. Right. But at the end of the day, you look back and you're like, well, why didn't we win at the rate we needed to win at? Why didn't we win at, win at a high enough rate? And, and that's where you, you make changes. And, and like Cam says, like, yeah, you'd probably do need to shake up. And we've seen that in the offensive staff. Right. The, the lead into that question was like culture, continuity, whatever. That's changed. That's gone. We're not doing that anymore. We're not doing continuity. We've changed the entire offensive staff in one offseason. Right. We talked we about that for sure. Right. We changed the entire defensive staff last offseason. The next step is you change the roster. <laughs> right. And they haven't really done that yet. So uh, I, I do think it's interesting. And, you know, culture shock, it's a kind of a word without meaning to some extent. Like it's basically just, hey, we're going to keep pulling levers to see what works. Um, but no, I, I mean, I think Cam is kind of also aware of his own mortality there. Like, yeah, one of these days they're gonna be like, Hey bud, <laughs> you want to go for a and, long, long walk? And to a little bit, they did kind of do that to him this season where he was used less on third down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that was driven more by injuries than anything else. I agree. Right. But at the same time, I think you did find something that worked. And if Cam is being honest about, you know, wanting to do whatever it takes to win, then I think you have to look at that and say, how do we build off this? Even when Cam is healthy, is he a third down pass rusher? And I, I think in, in a lot of instances, the answer might be no. And you bring Zach Bond back and have him in that spash, spash, pass rush, like specialist pass rusher role, or do you kind of, keep banging your head against the wall and saying, okay, if Cam is healthy, he can get after the quarterback like he has always. I think he, at, at this point in Cam's career, he's still a useful player. He's, but, but he's the type of player that in a lot of other instances, you'd see him land on a, con, more, an, a higher level contending team, right? You'd see like the Justin Houston ends up going wherever and he's not a full-time player anymore, but he's still a guy where you're like, oh, Justin Houston's there, right? Like, yeah, that's the player he just because you got that extension on the Saints doesn't mean that you have to be committed to everything staying the same. And I do think and I've said this throughout the season, I think he's a great run player. And I think that's where you should start. And I think that should be his focus. And you need to figure out how to rush the passer in, in creative ways. So, you know, I, I, I will be interested to see how that situation develops throughout the offseason. Yeah, that's one thing in camp. Can't wait to see what Cam comes back like for this season because I think we heard it from Mickey Loomis when asked about Cam Jordan's performance this year, saying basically he spent the season playing on one leg. And kudos to Cam for, you know, muscling through that injury and being able to perform and be be available because we're so critical of guys that, oh, he, he's not even available for a game. We know that's not the case with Cam. He plays through so much. Um, but just this year, it, he just didn't look like the same guy. It is funny when I hear people complain about how guys like Peyton Turner, Marcus Davenport, Isaiah Vasky, how they're never available, but then also say like, but Cam's old. And I was like, well, at least yeah. he's here. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, Cam, yeah, he was playing. He, so the how he explained it when when we were talking to him at the end of the season is like he sprained his – he had a high ankle sprain – against the Falcons, which was like kind of a shin injury. I think they initially named it a shin injury. And there's some more technical explanation of like the actual ligaments or whatever that he injured. And then the next week he compounded it with a low ankle sprain. Like, so he had a high ankle sprain and a low ankle sprain on the same ankle and he didn't miss a game. <laughs> so 
you will you could complain about cam jordan right. in whatever way you want you will never say that man is soft i think he and also had like a, a major like a significant shoulder injury that he was dealing with uh anyway yeah, he, hearing, yeah. Hearing him go through all that even makes you more mad at the whole covid season when he was forced to sit the game out and ruin yeah, you feel, yeah, it, it is funny because i do wonder you know in the next season he missed a game uh, with an eye I, injury yeah and i do wonder if because he wanted to play like it was right, a situation absolutely like no that's that's a bad idea uh, <laughs> but i do wonder if he hadn't had that iron man streak end in right. 2021 would he have played through it in 2022 at least to some level because like he could at least be suit up and be on the field for a couple snaps just to keep that going but it's not a thing anymore but this was the first year he played 17 games probably previously he had joked with his dad that he was like he's like oh i'm just a 16 game player because uh, the first two 17-game seasons, he missed one game in each of them. So he had technically played in 16 games in every season of his career. Now it's 17 this past season. So got it. Kudos to Cam. And yeah, just waiting to see what 2024 season brings for him because I do think – I expect a huge bounce back for him. What His pass rush numbers and sack totals just weren't there this year. And I think that's going to get under his skin like it got under Saints fans. Agreed. And, and I'm interested to see if they add any more pass rush depth in the draft. Um, you know, like I talked about a guy like Adrian Robinson would make a ton of sense. Did I say Adrian? I keep saying Adrian Robinson because he was a tight end from Cincinnati. Uh, but it's Darius Robinson. He's the defensive lineman from Missouri. So somebody uh, like all that. All those but... Robinsons look the same. <laughs> Adrian Robinson. I, I thought he was going to be real good. I think he ended up on the Giants. But anyway, we will we will continue. That. Let's wrap up this segment. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. This is the first episode of season three. We made it. Woohoo! We, we, we turn over the calendar after the Super Bowl. So Because the Super Bowl happened. We didn't talk about it. But the Super Bowl did happen. The Chiefs won again. Now we reset. And we talk about how the Chiefs can win again next year. Because if they could win with that roster, I don't know what roster they can't win with. Marquez Valdez Scantling. Day one of training camp is Taylor Swift there with the Chiefs. Does <laughs> does the Travis Kelsey Swift Taylor Swift relationship make it through the offseason? Heck, does right. Travis Kelsey retire? Does, I, I saw some rumblings that he and he might retire because Jason retired and they got this whole media thing like the Mannings. Yeah. Because uh, they already have a podcast. So that would be interesting if if Travis decides to retire, kind of, you know, because like Gronk did the same thing. Gronk, uh, Gronk was in a situation where he's like, "I won a ton of Super Bowls. How much do I need to to prove here?" And he retired, but then came back and won another Super Bowl. <laughs> I think Travis definitely is thinking about that three peat though. So I, he, I, I haven't heard any rumblings about him really serious about stepping away, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Right. But yeah, it's to when you won as, as as frequently as he has with <laughs> Pat. It's like, what? How much more do I have? What, what? What else do I have to prove? At a certain point, it's like all I can do is get worse than I am right now. Uh, like, like I said, whereas a guy now like Cam, it's, now it's chasing the first win. ever three P. Has no one ever three peated? No one's ever three peated magically. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. I thought the Cowboys did, but maybe I'm wrong. I think the Cowboys maybe got to three. I don't know. I, maybe. But yeah, it, I guess I guess that is something. To, but like at a certain point, it's like, yeah, no one's ever four-peated either. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be having that same conversation. Uh, anyway, but let's wrap up this segment. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. A lot of you have. I'm still waiting for the rest. You can follow him at Steve Geller, WWL, and uh, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube at WWL Sports. We're going to come back, talk a whole lot of Clint. That's Kubiak, if you uh, were unaware. Let's do it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We are going to be talking about.
about the Saints' new offensive coordinator, Clint Kubiak. And he's the deal is done, at the very least. We know that. Um, that was reported shortly after the Super Bowl. You know, it, we only got yeah. like hours past the Super Bowl before this deal was done, in case you were wondering how antsy the Saints were to get it done. I did wonder if maybe they'd wait out Fat Tuesday, but they did not. Um, they still have not announced it yet as of the time we're recording this. So there's a chance that they announce it this afternoon. We're recording this on Wednesday around noon. So if that happens, great. Uh, it's not going to change much either way. But the Saints are bringing in a Kubiak. And one of the interesting things to me about Clint is, you know, you 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 look at a coach and you're like, oh, we're so excited to bring this guy in. It's a guy who has he's going to be on his fourth team in four seasons. And you look at that and you're like, wow, what's he doing to piss these teams off? Like <laughs> leaving. And it is interesting because you, you're on the Vikings in 2021. You're the offensive coordinator. Mike Zimmer gets fired. So that's not, you know, you, you can say like, well, the, if the offense was better, maybe the coach would have kept his job. But at the same time, it's like, it, I would look at that differently if Clint got fired and, and Mike Zimmer kept his job, right? Like if right. Clint beat Carmichael, in this this Saints scenario where you fire the OC and you're like, we have a problem here. We're going to fix it. That's not what happened there. He goes out to Denver as the, you know, as the quarterback's coach for, for Russell Wilson, right? He's also the passing game coordinator. That, that's it. Nathaniel Hackett tenure goes terribly. Yeah. Um, he actually took over play calling duties at some point in that season. It's tough to know exactly when. Um, so he was in charge of that offense and the offense did look better as the season went on. So we should get a little credit for that. Um, but it is weird. You don't typically see your quarterbacks coach slash passing game coordinator calling plays and the offensive coordinator, not calling plays. So that was kind of a weird one. Obviously that whole staff gets fired. He's part of that. Sean Payton goes in. Sean Payton wasn't going to retain Clint Kubiak. Um, so he goes out to San Francisco. Now, Things didn't go poorly there. In fact, they went very well. He's the passing game coordinator, passing game specialist, whatever. So then he gets plucked away. So it is an interesting scenario where you're talking about a guy who's going to be on his fourth team in four seasons, but at the you can look at it and say he wasn't fired from any of those jobs. He was just in the culling of two entire staffs and then got plucked out of a third staff. And the, what I will say positively for him is, he was in Minnesota for two seasons prior to becoming the offensive coordinator. So he did right. stick there and he was brought back to the Vikings after serving as offensive quality control coach in 2013, 2014. So a majority of his coaching career to this point was with the Vikings. So I do feel a little better about it knowing that's like, okay, yeah, he was an integral part of Mike Zimmer's staff for multiple seasons. It's not like he's, you know, he's the reason that all of these staffs are falling apart. Yeah. When you look at it, you know, I guess you could say he does have play calling experience, but obviously it's not that grandioso. But I don't think the Saints had any real candidates or what is that, out of the 11 or 12 that had a ton of play calling experience that they interviewed. I mean, no, you, you had a few, you know, uh, Luke Getze was one of the candidates. He was the offensive coordinator for the Bears the last <laughs> two seasons. Well, I mean, you're just saying play calling experience. No, I hear you, you right. Know? I mean, he like Clint Kubiak calling plays for the Broncos in 2022 wasn't exactly a dream come true, right? So, but we're talking about experience as experience. Now, Mike yeah. Sullivan was also a play caller previously. He called plays for the Giants, and then he called plays for the Steelers this past season after Matt Canada got fired. So he was another one. There was at least one more that had some play calling experience. But yeah, you ended up going with Clint Kubiak, and I feel good about it. You know, Clint is he's just an interesting guy. He's 36 years old, so he's younger, which is. I think a good thing. I think it's if you're trying to rebuild your offense, you're trying to modernize things. I do want to go with somebody younger, right? Like I, he's he's not younger than Derek Carr, which is the Kelfoy. He is his senior by a few years, um, but he's he's a young guy that's also been in the league for a while. He's got ten years of coaching experience in the NFL. He also spent time as a wide receivers coach at Kansas for a season. You know, so. This is a guy who's been around the game. He's been on coaching staffs forever. Plus his dad, like you mentioned earlier. And he's a, it's a football family, right? So right. He's green in that sense. And I think that's a good thing. So you were able to kind of thread that needle of getting a young guy in the room that also has a lot of coaching experience and has been on several different staffs as you know, I think be going around the block on the NFL and no, and just kind of getting the idea of how all of these teams operate 
and being able to kind of pluck what works and what, and, you know, erase what didn't work. And, uh, I think that learning experience is valuable. So I feel good about that. One of the interesting things, um, for Clint and, and this is not unique to him, but it is, I don't want to say rare, but it's, you know, typically when you get into coaching, you get into coaching on the side of the ball that you played, you know, DA actually, he did spend some time on the offensive side of the ball, but he was a safety at Texas A&M and he ended up going back and coaching the secondary, coaching the defense, becoming a defensive coordinator. Now he's a head coach. Clint also played safety in college at Colorado state. Clint thought he was going to be, you know, he, his goal was to play professionally. It didn't really work out for him. And he got into coaching. He went back to Texas A&M where he's from Houston and, uh, you know, got into the coaching ranks and kind of worked his way up, but immediately went to the offensive side of the ball. And I am, I'm interested to ask him when he, you know, whenever we inevitably talk to Clint for the first time, how that happened, because it is interesting, right? Like you play defense and then you, you start, you know, coaching wide receivers. And I, I do feel like that's a unique perspective. And I almost wonder if that helped him kind of, uh, get on the right side of things with Dennis Allen because they both played safety. So they kind of speak the same language in that way. But I do like the idea of having your offensive coordinator coming up on the defensive side of the ball uh, and, and knowing both sides, uh, you know, cause I think that's part of it is like, you can call a perfect play, but you also have to understand what the defense is doing and you have to be able to lead your quarterback in understanding what the defense is doing. And, and I'm hopeful that he'll be able to do that. What's also interesting with the whole thing, obviously, uh, Dennis Allen went to Texas A&M. Kubiak started his coaching career over at Texas A&M. Like you mentioned, he didn't go to college there, but he did start his coaching career there. So there's a little bit of that Aggie connection. Yeah, and Gary was a wide receiver or running backs coach at A&M when Dennis right. Allen was a player. So it all kind of links. I am curious to hear whether, you know, D.A. met Clint when he was, you know, what, four or five years old, because that was like 1992 so he would have been, I don't know, uh, four or five at that point. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I knew you when you were a baby. I'm, I'm wondering too, is Clint going to bring Clay Kubiak with him from the 49ers? <laughs> That's a good question. There's also uh, Klein Kubiak, who is an area yeah. scout for the Cowboys. So we, we you know, it, it's, it's well, funny because Darren, Darren and David Carr have the same kind of naming convention of going with the same letter for all three kids. And now they're, they're kind of, there's this connection and they can debate who made announcers more frustrated throughout their, throughout their careers. It's almost as bad as that time I saw Alan Ray trying to defend Ray Allen in an NBA game. And, and that must've been, that must've been a nightmare to call. Uh, but no, so, you know, we're gonna, going back to the Vikings a little bit. You know, one thing about Clint Kubiak, he's an opening statement guy. I don't know if anyone cares. It's, okay. I care because <laughs> he's the type of, you know, you know what I mean? You don't understand what I'm saying? Right. Doesn't just walk up to the mic. Okay. Go ahead. Fire ahead. Yeah. Well, so like Pete Carmichael and uh, Joe Woods throughout the season, it would always be like, all right, go fire away is the one they would say. <laughs> and it was always ironic because I was like, that's probably what's going to happen, Pete, but that's fine. We're going to talk about that down the road. But yeah, Clint is the type of guy who will walk up and he'll be like, oh, we're a great week of practice, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was very, it's kind of a head coach vibe, right? Like I, yeah. I very much can see Clint being a head coach in at some point. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to take over for DA. Don't take my comments and be like, oh, it's only That's a matter bad. of time. I, but I do think that, you know, if things go well in New Orleans, he will end up on a short list like Dave Canales to go somewhere and be a head coach. So just take that for what it is. Um, but you know, you, you go back and you look at, and so the Vikings, that was his first time calling plays and it was interesting. You know, I, I went back and watched a bunch of Clint Kubiak interviews and, uh, things went well to start. They really fell off at the end of the 2021 season. And I think that played a pretty big role in, in how you end up getting fired. It's funny because that season went very similarly to how the saints season went this year. They were five and seven. They won a game. It, you know, they won a couple games to get to seven and seven. Then they lost to the Rams in week 16. That actually happened in 2021 to the Vikings. They lost to the Rams in week 16, just like the Saints did this year. So they, they were five and seven. They won two games to get to seven and seven. And then they lost to the Rams to go to seven and eight. And then that was the year the Rams won the Super Bowl. So it was a very good Rams team that year, obviously. Uh, then the next week, you know, and, and it's funny because like, okay, how does a head coach get fired in that scenario? The Vikings went eight and nine that season. It wasn't a nightmare season. But how did they get there? Well, in week 17, they go face the Packers and get blown out. 
uh, Sean Mannion was the quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins got wow. hurt. Um, and so you give him a little credit there. But like, that's how, you know, this season, if that had gone that way, if the Saints had gone out to Tampa and got blown out like 36-17 or whatever the score would have been, I think DA gets fired. I think that's, the, you know, that's the trigger, right? That, like I, you could very, see a very easy scenario where if the season ended the way the Vikings did, which is get blown out by the, by a division rival in week 17, then go beat a division rival in week 18 after you're already eliminated from the postseason. That's a very different feeling than what the Saints did, which was go out in a game they had to win to have a chance, beat that division rival, and then come home and beat the, you know, the Falcons. And that's how you end up here. But it was the opposite for the Vikings. And, and that's what happened. But, you know, I, I do think that by that point in the season, maybe some people had figured you out, you know, maybe there were some issues that cropped up and he talked about in, in earlier in the season, you know, as, cause he kept getting asked about, okay, it's your first season as the play caller. How, what are kind of your takeaways? What have you learned? And one of the things he talked about was one of the difficulties in becoming a very good play caller is you can't just be thinking of the play, the next play, the next play. You have to be thinking two, three plays ahead. And Mark Slareth actually talked about this when he was evaluating the Saints-Texans game because he called that game. And one of his criticisms of the Saints offense was it very much felt like there was just, it's just somebody calling a play. And then it's like, well, that didn't work. So what's the next play? What's the next play? And there's a difference between doing that and calling an offense, which is, you know, you have an idea of what you're doing. You have plays, you have counters, you have a, you have a shot player trying to get to. So how do I set that up? How have, how can I break the tendencies that I've already created in this game? Or how can I break the tendencies that I created last game? Like Mike, Kyle Shanahan, one of the things he does as well as anybody is he creates tendencies with the goal of breaking them, right? Like he's, he creates his own tendency so that he can break it once he sees teams reacting to it. And that, that's the difference between calling plays and calling an offense. Um, and uh, here's talking prior to that week 18 game, which is, you know, dead man walking, right? Like that yeah. coaching staff was about to get fired under the sun, that Mike Zimmer coaching staff. And I thought his answer to this question, which is kind of, you know, looking back on the season as it was reflecting and, you know, what, what are some of your biggest takeaways? One game left. When you look back on your first full year at the Reigns, you know, your dad can tell you so much, you can observe so much, but in it learning, what is maybe the number one lesson that you're like, oh, that's what everyone has told me about, but now I understand it from a different perspective. I'm living through it. I really wish I could give you one thing. I, I wish I wish I could do that, but but I can't. It's it's been a, it's been plenty of things. Um, the main the thing that just sticks out in my mind every day is that it's 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 never a one man operation. It's a it's a team thing. It's a it's the whole offensive staff working together. And I I don't know how anyone would do it without it without a great staff like us. You know, I'm really just really blessed to work with veteran guys that but we care about each other and we work hard for each other and on game day and throughout the week there's a lot of communication and uh, I've leaned on their experience all year and there's been so much positive things that have happened in games that um, that people have given me credit for that don't belong to me they belong to our to Kennedy Palomaro and, and Phil Rauscher and Keenan and Andrew and uh, coach Zimmer and uh, you know there's been pretty negative plenty of negative things that that do belong to me so uh, I just I think it's all about having a cohesive unit cohesive staff and I think when you have that, you can have a lot of success. Yeah, and I think what I need to see from Clint, we're going to talk about this in the next segment a little bit, is 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 what he's saying there to be true, which is, you know, it can't just be a one-man operation on the offensive staff. You got to be able to take input, feedback, and, and work from it. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, the Vikings were 32nd in the NFL in RPO passes in 2021. Now you have Kirk Cousins, right? Of course, you're not going to be running a ton of RPO, but they were last. They were dead last. And I did think that was interesting because the Kyle Shanahan scheme, while it's still not going to be heavy in RPOs, it is low. It's down toward the bottom. I think this past season, they were 27th in RPO passes, 28th in RPO runs. Uh, where I was surprised to see was the Vikings were 22nd in play action attempts but they were 13th in yards in play action attempts. That says to me is like, you're not getting to the play action all that often, but you are hitting on it. And I do think, I do wonder, you look at it and you say, okay, well, why aren't you running play action more? If it's this successful element of your offense, why aren't you doing it more? And I just think that's, 
you know, a, a first year play caller, there's a lot of things that you're going to, it's going to get away from you, right? There's going to be points where it gets away from you. And how do you learn from that and move forward? And I, we didn't, we haven't really gotten to see that as much as you probably would have liked because he wasn't really a full-time play caller again since being with the Vikings. But, you know, this year, the the 49ers were 17th in play action. The Vikings under Kevin O'Connell were number one, which is kind of interesting. Wow. And that's going to be a major theme of the Saints offense is how do you adjust? How do you get to the play action more? How do you run more misdirection plays? How do you get ahead of yourself without getting ahead of yourself? Um, and And I think one of the major themes of this season is going to be how much has Clint learned since the, what I would say was largely unsuccessful first time as an offense coordinator. And if that answer is quite a bit, then I think he can have a lot of success here. Yeah. The one thing that concerns me, obviously folks, I feel a lot of fans or maybe even some analysts are just trying to plug in now. What's Clint Kubiak going to do with the saints? And it's like, all right, Alvin Kamara, can be the McCaffrey and, you know, IU could be uh, Chris Olave and all oh, the Saints need to get a George Kittle. I'm not really sure it works like that. No, I, I mean, it, that's that's why I think it's going to be interesting. And I was on uh, with Tommy Tucker this morning and he asked, like, well, what's the Saints office going to look like? And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't know right now. <laughs> because I think everyone's assuming that it's going to be a 49ers clone. And I don't know why that would be, like, I think there's elements of that 49ers offense that you're going to bring over if you're Clint. Yeah. But he spent one year there. <laughs> right. And so I think you're going to have to, it's going to be an amalgamation of the, of the things Agreed. that were good from all of his offenses. Right. You know, one of the, one of the play designs that I thought was really interesting as I went back and watched some of the Vikings clips is uh, they would actually shift Justin Jefferson into the backfield and have him run like a Texas route, almost like an angle route out of the backfield. And it's like the and the design wasn't even necessarily to get Justin Jefferson the ball. The design was to open up routes for other people. And you know that's not a that's not a 49ers thing. He wasn't on the 49ers at that point. So and you know there's going to be Gary Kubiak elements of his mm -hmm. offense. There's going to be you know I don't know how much the Broncos scheme you're going to incorporate, but I do think it's it's an oversimplification to look at it and say. Well, the fight, 49ers did this, and right. it worked. So that's just going to be what it looks like. Now, I do think you're going to see a lot of things that look similar to the 49ers. You're going to see a lot of condensed formations. You're going to see a lot of wide zones. I do think that Taysom can be used in a role similar to Kyle Juszczyk. Um, not necessarily to say he's a fullback, but he's. I think you're going to end up seeing Taysom Hill motioned into the backfield a lot more or starting in the backfield and motioning out of the backfield. Because because I just think he he creates matchup issues when you do that in ways that no other player on this team probably can, other than maybe an Alvin Kamara, but he's obviously going to be in the backfield the majority of the time anyway. Um, but no, I, I just think it, it's funny because we're going to be out there in training camp kind of watching this develop and watching some of the things they're working on, and it's going to look a lot different. And we're going to learn at that point, you know, what are some of the fundamental things they're going to add in this offense? Um and uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's a good, it's going to be, it's like, I don't think we, anyone has an answer right now. Yeah, that's I why I'm looking forward to talking to Clint. And, like and you said, there's going to be things. obviously some elements, but you can't just assume that the 49ers offense is just going to be replicated here. And it shouldn't be like that. That's what I don't want to see is that like, I want to see a guy who understands why the 49ers do what they do yeah. and, and, and who can kind of innovate on that. Right. One of the things about the 49ers offense that most people don't talk about is like, there's no such thing as a Kyle Shanahan scheme. There's a guy who understands how to be at the cutting edge of NFL offense and builds on it and builds on it and builds on it. The 2023 Kyle Shanahan scheme doesn't really look that much like the 2021 Kyle Shanahan scheme. Both worked, but he keeps building on it. And that's what I need to see from Clint. Is not a guy who's going who's gonna to just say, well, this is what my dad did in this situation. So that's what I'm going to do. This is what Kyle did in this situation. So that's what I'm going to do. I need to see someone who understands why they do those things and continues to build on that. Because if, if you are not someone who can do that, eventually people are going to catch up with you and uh, your stint's not going to last very long. Totally agree there. Yeah, I, I'm interested, obviously, Sue, to see what exactly we're in for come training camp and you know, even that's going to be – it's not going to be an exact science of, of what uh, was going to happen week one for this for this black and gold club, but at least you get a sense of 
uh, what's going to be different for this coming season. Uh, I know even even player-wise, I've given up trying to forecast what's going to happen in a regular season come training camp, a la like a Jawan Johnson we thought was going to dominate this this past season. Yeah, that was frustrating. Um, <laughs> but all right, let's, let's end this segment here. We're going to come back. We're going to keep talking about Clint Kubiak, but I have to let you listen to some ads first. That's what everyone waits all this time. For sure. Yeah, you know, and all the, the products and services that, uh, that bring you this podcast. Um, Ice spice we go. Yes, yes. <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts might get in there. Who knows? We got, we got, we got plenty. We got plenty. But all right, this is Inside Black Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk more about Clint Kubiak. I looked up some some first fifteen numbers because I think that was an issue for the Saints this year. And I do think when you look at Clint, what he's done is a his his success rate in the in the scheduled part. The the uh, what, what, what's the word? I'm not uh, the, 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 the planned part of the offense is uh, much better than what we saw from uh, from Keith Carmichael these past few years. So stick around. We're going to get into it right on the other side of these ads. Here on Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to plug all the Clint Kubiak stuff at the back end of the pod was that, oh, maybe we're going to get an announcement from the Saints about, oh, these moves are made official uh, before we end the podcast, so we don't have to be like, well, come back next time for the the accurate version of this has all been done. Uh, It doesn't seem like we have. So uh, if you're listening to this and (laughs) you're like, well, why aren't they talking about this if it's already been announced? That's why. Now, the only thing I've seen so far is plenty of the Kansas City Chiefs celebration, and it just makes me sad because of how long it's been for the black and gold, obviously. Yeah. Well, it is funny because it's like everyone wants to be Super Bowl or bust, right? But <laughs> They're spoiled now, right? It can't always be that. And I've always felt like the most fun part of it, for this for the teams that aren't the dynasty, which, you know, is the 0.001% of NFL fan bases, right? Like, yeah, great. You got you got Tom Brady, you got Pat Mahomes. That can't be your plan. It's the Patriots didn't plan on getting Tom Brady. The Patriots lucked into Tom Brady. The 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 Chiefs planned on getting Pat Mahomes, but I don't think if you know they weren't I don't think at the time they were like this is going to be a legendary quarterback who wins four Super Bowls in 5 years or whatever. Like that's so much of it is luck. Um and I, I heard some people, I saw at least one take that was like, you just got to keep tanking until you find your your legendary quarterback. And it was like, hey. the teams that ended up with the legendary quarterbacks didn't tank to get them. The Patriots Right, they weren't tank. usually picking one overall. Right, well, that that's just like the, the Patriots didn't tank to get Tom Brady. They had Drew Bledsoe, and they were like, yeah, we're going to win with Drew. And then they eventually went to Tom, and it was like, okay, this is the guy. The Chiefs had Alex Smith, right? Like, they, they had a plan. They were trying to win. You know, it's like, sure, if you're if you're the Bengals and you're bad for so long and you end up with the number one pick and you get Joe Burrow, it's like, great. You know, Andrew Luck's a good example of that, too. But like that wasn't a that wasn't like they didn't go into that season. Oh, the Colts is a bad example, but like the Bengals didn't go into that season trying to lose. They just went into that season really bad. Like they were just a bad team. They didn't yeah. set that up. <laughs> that, that's just what happened. <laughs> and I do think it's funny, but I don't know. Like I I. At a certain point as a fan base, you need to just appreciate the process. And and I feel like it's been a, it's been so long for the Saints that you have to be able to appreciate like everyone's like, oh, they're gonna get to the playoffs and lose. But like that's the part that's a part of the process is getting to the playoffs, right? So you shouldn't be disappointed in a season that gets to the playoffs. We you can't look at this all as an extension of the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era, because that, that era is gone. You need to find a winning recipe in the now era. Sure. Um, and that's what I miss. Like, like the Bills showed up to the to play the Saints on Thanksgiving in 2021. And that was kind of the beginning of the Bills figuring out, like, oh, crap, we can, we can win a Super Bowl with this team. And, you know, it's kind of like the Lions this year showing up at the Dome. And, like, they're, they're all so excited to watch a winning team, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're, we're getting to that point where Saints fans uh, are going to start appreciating that again, the way they did probably back in 2006, where it was like, you know, all your expectations were real low and they were exceeded, you know? 
It's tough. I, I get it. You get that taste of the one Lombardi, and now you're spiraled, and you want another one. And we've been talking to that forever, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah. No, and I mean, it, it, it's it's frustrating when you kind of get to that point where it's like you do have to kind of reset the deck a little bit, and that's what happens when you have to move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback, which is just kind of something tough. that that happens when you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. At some point, the Chiefs are going to have to move on from Pat Mahomes, and I guarantee you that's not going to be a pleasant process. The Patriots had to move on from Tom Brady. Do you think that's been a pleasant process? No, um, shoot, Bill Belichick's gone for crying out loud. Yeah. The Saints had to move on from Drew Brees, and it has gone, you know, realistically speaking, <laughs> you're talking about a team that has gone 500 in the three seasons after losing Tom or losing Drew Brees. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it could have been worse. That's all I'm going to say. The frustrating thing is those two winning seasons were nine and eight and didn't get to the postseason. Right. Uh, but it is funny. It's like you hear people talk about this season like it's been a, like these last three seasons, like they've been an abject disaster. And it, the only way you would consider it that is if like your idea was, oh, we're going to tank and get to the top of the draft and draft a quarterback. And hopefully that quarterback will be the next Tom Brady, but next Drew Brees. But yeah, I got to say, Jeff, even though, you know, it looked it looked disjointed and, you know, unimaginative this Saints offense still performed pretty well when you look at the stats and points per game. I think they, they were in the top, what, 15 at least, right? And, and points per game in the NFL, which I, I did not expect from this squad at all. You know, that's a, that's a good segue into what, what I want to talk about. So Clint Kubiak and, and Pete Carmichael, and one, one area that I think they differed dramatically is, and, and this is something that as I was listening back, to some of these interviews that Clint did as the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, one of the themes that got brought up a lot was this team is very good in the scripted portion of the game, right? The first 15 or however many scripted plays there are, they're very effective to the point that there was this talk, there was talks about, Hey, we want to have a scripted portion coming out of halftime because they were so good in that part of the game that it was like, how do we replicate this as the, as the game goes on? And it was kind of the opposite of what the saints had this year, which is you were so bad early in games, but you were able to make some adjustments and to find some things that worked later in the game. And that's where a lot of those points, particularly early in the season, points, yards, second half when you were down, like you went into halftime trailing by 10 points and had to make a rally. You know, the game against the Lions, game against the Jaguars, game against the Texans are good examples of that. Um, and so I went through and I, I just wanted to, because like you'll see opening drive results. We know that the Saints only scored one touchdown on an opening drive all season. But it's about more than that. It's about, okay, what was, how about the rest of the scripted portion? Because it's not like you only go with the script for the first drive. If you only get six plays done, you're going to come back and you're going to run the rest of that script on the next drive. So I went through and I looked at, okay, how did the Vikings fare on those first 15 plus? Like, so if you started a drive on your 13th play of the game and it finished with a touchdown, I counted that. Um, Whereas sometimes it's like, okay, you got through 14 plays in your first two drives. I'm not necessarily giving the script credit for the next drive. Right. Um, but so you look at it and you say, okay, it's a kind of a weird metric because the Vikings, the Vikings in the first 15 in 2021, they had 46 drives, but more drives doesn't necessarily is not necessarily a good thing because that means that maybe you had a ton of three and outs. And so you got more drives out of those first 15 plays or, you know, but the flip side is, Hey, maybe you scored in two plays. And so you got more drives and it, it's interesting. So they're very similar numbers with one, with one major difference. So the saints had 41 drives at three missed field goals in their first 15 of, of this past season, back to back games, the saints got the ball on their opening offensive drive, drove down the field for a makeable for a 50 something yard field goal. And uh, it, the Blake Gerby missed another game. <laughs> their opening drive, <laughs> they drove, this was against the Panthers. They drove down and missed a short field goal. So three opening drives this season ended in a missed field goal for the Saints. So it, it's, that's, that's kind of hurting their numbers here. Cause you can see, okay, so they, they had five made field goals on opening drives. The Vikings in 2021 had nine. So that would have been, had you not missed those field goals, which the Vikings only had one, those numbers would be a lot closer. 
three turnovers for the Saints. I'm sorry, five turnovers for the Saints. I included turnovers on downs. Three for the Vikings in 2021. 20 punts for the for, for the Vikings, 20 punts for the Saints. But the biggest difference is the Vikings scored 13 touchdowns on on drives that happened in the first 15 plays of the of the game, so the scripted portion. The Saints had eight. Now, it might not sound like a crazy amount, but if the Saints had scored five more touchdowns this season, they're probably a 10-win team. Like that's that's the difference between going 10 and 7 or maybe 11 and 6 and winning some of these close games and going 9 and 8 and losing all of these close games. The other thing that I'll note is in that season the Vikings they had 9 games where they scored multiple times in their first 15 like scripted part of their offense. So not only did they score once, they they got the ball back and scored again in that scripted portion. The Saints did that zero times. Um these numbers for the Vikings also look a little worse than they are because the portion of the season where you probably and you sealed your fate of getting fired was uh so week 17 and 18 the Vikings uh did not score once in their first 15 and they punted they punt, they, they had seven possessions six punts and one turnover on downs so this was week 17 and 18 now keep in mind Sean Mannion was playing quarterback there was a, some headwinds right. they were flying into but like if you you know when you think about it they had 13 touchdowns over the first 15 weeks of the season and so like that means you are scoring a touchdown in your opening script almost an average of one time per game so i mean that's pretty good right and that's and if the saints were able to do that more effectively more efficiently this season they win a lot more games so that's one thing i'm encouraged by as you look at clint is he is an expert at creating that plan that opening plan to get the game started on the right foot um and when you are a team led by a strong defense, getting out to a hot start will mean a lot more wins. So, you know, I have questions about how he adjusts as the game goes on. And I think that that was an issue for him with the Vikings is like we talked about, he wasn't always thinking enough plays ahead. So like being good at scripting the offense isn't, it doesn't mean you're, this isn't the same thing as being good at adjusting on the fly with the offense. Um, but that's kind of where I, I, I'd like to see him improve, but I, I do think that he's kind of a wizard in that way of being able to script things uh, effectively. That's all. Well, I, I like that because wave that wand because, yeah, we've saw plenty of times this season where things just started out so slow and didn't really come around till after the half, honestly. Sometimes second quarter, but after halftime, like all of a sudden the offense would wake up and it felt a little like too little, too late kind of thing. And, well, and, and a lot of times you're playing from behind. You know, in, in, in the games that the Saints played from ahead this past season, they, they won a lot of those games. You, know, you, you can't look at this past season and say, you know, like, like the 49ers in the Super Bowl, right? They had a 10-point lead in the first quarter. They blew it. That's Kyle Shanahan's calling card is having big leads in the Super Bowl and this team blowing them. One of two is head coach. One is the offensive coordinator for the Falcons in that great 28-3 game that we like to talk about so often. Uh, one, oh, here, here's one thing. In the Super Bowl, they muffed a punt. The 49ers muffed a punt, and it was like the turning point in that game. You, you know that the two players involved, one of them hit off his foot, and the other one tried to pick it up and, and didn't. The player who his the, the ball hit off his foot was number 28, and the player who tried to pick it up and failed was Ray Ray McLeod, number three. Still, can't make that stuff up. Yeah, no, you can't. Still just haunts Shanahan. Yeah. Um, but like you look at the Saints season and there's a lot of things they did wrong and there's a lot of ways that it didn't go well, but you can't, you know, other than that Packers game, which has had a lot more to do with Derek Carr going out with an injury than necessarily blowing a lead. You can't really look at a lot of games where it was like they got ahead and they blew the lead. No, right. It was always, okay. They got behind in the first half. They made a rally and they couldn't get, they couldn't get over the top. So, you know, one of the ways that you can fix that is by scoring earlier in the game and having success in ways that like, and, and I think that when you're talking about an offensive coordinator being creative and understanding how to attack a certain defense, being able to create that plan, that, that, that script, that, that there's a lot to be said for that. And I do think that that was one of the things that Pete struggled with the most, 
this past season. And and when things were on the fly, when it was kind of just, you know, everything's going around and you're, and you're calling plays and you're adjusting, I think he was good at that. But he wasn't good at creating that kind of creative plan early in games. And so we'll see. You know, the other thing is yeah, uh, the quarterback's coach, Andrew Junoko, is, uh, that's the guy who's supposed to be um, the quarterback's coach for the Saints. He right. They worked together in Minnesota. Clancy Barone was a guy that Clint Kubiak worked with in Denver previously. And then John Benton. I think they have crossed paths, but I can't recall. He's going to be the offensive line coach. Uh, it's been reported pretty widely. Um, so those are all guys that, that I'm interested to, to hear from. Yeah, you were kind of joking about we were waiting to hear, you know, during the podcast, the Saints come out with this formal announcement. Well, we're, we're not the Chargers podcast, so we don't have to go back and, and backtrack. They've sent out their whole list of coaching staff hires for already. So eventually the Saints will do the same and we'll have to catch up. Yeah, and so just before we go, there's one other clip from from uh, Clint. This is prior to the the 2021 season with the Vikings. And one thing that I can say is like I do not miss Zoom interviews. These are both Zoom interviews, so he's like wearing headphones and talking to a computer. I just think you don't get very good answers to questions when when you're in that format. Um, but he did. He, this was a really interesting question, and I didn't expect him that. As I heard the question being asked, I did not expect him to answer it in a way that actually addressed the question but he did and i was just like oh okay uh and it, it gives me hope that we'll have some coordinator interviews this year with some actual content in them uh because he's asked here kind of do you want to be insulated as the play caller you know something to that extent so let's listen to it clint you've obviously worked with your dad um for a long time and i'm wondering how insulated do you feel uh, just with the pieces that are around you on the coaching staff? I know Rick Dennison has been part of the, you know, the Kubiak offense for a while. He's called run plays. He's called plays before. How insulated do you feel you'll be as you try this out for the first time? And how insulated do you want to be? Um, you know, I think uh, it is a true blessing to be with Rick and Brian and all the, all the coaches that are coming back. And the more uh, continuity that we have as a staff, certainly the better communicators we can be to our players. Um, you know, to answer your question best is I'm certainly always looking for ways to be uncomfortable. And when I feel insulated, I feel confident in the, the experience and the continuity that I have around me. Um, but uh, I want those guys to challenge me every day. I want KP, Keenan, Rick, Brian, Andrew, I want those guys to challenge me. I want to challenge them so we can get the best out of each other because certainly uh, we're not going to go anywhere standing still and resting on our laurels from years past. Yeah, and and I think that's important. And as you build out this staff, and like I said several times, you know, we don't know exactly who the staff is at the time we're recording this podcast. I expect to hear a, a few more names very, pretty quickly throughout the week. That staff needs to it, it, you can't be yes men, right? Like that's why the, the, this part, this process is very important because it can't just be uh, guys like, yeah, Clint, you're the man. Let's do this. You know, it's it's got to be guys. Who yeah, like, no, hey, you're a great point. Yeah, you you see something wrong and you fix it. And one of the things that I think is going to be really interesting to see how it develops is I, I don't know if I mentioned this previously, obviously, but uh, Clint Kubiak before he took over as the offense coordinator with the Vikings had spent two years as the quarterback's coach. He knew he knew Kirk Cousins like the you know as well as you can in that role before taking over as the offensive coordinator. That's not the case this year. He's coming in blind, maybe not blind, but he's coming in pretty relatively blind in terms of working with Derek Carr. See, that's going to have to happen fast. It's going to have to happen fast, and you're not going to have the luxury of saying, "Well, this worked last year. <laughs> this worked the year before. This is how he likes to you know have the offense displayed to him. This is how he likes to go through his reads. This is how he likes to." It kind of absorb these notes. You're gonna to have to learn that in real time, and and that's so it's gonna have to be a group effort. And so a guy like Andrew Janoko, who we, he referenced in that interview, he talked to he's like when he said Andrew, that's who he was talking about was Andrew Janoko, the quarterbacks coach. Um, it's it's gonna be a process. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a fun off season as we kind of develop this, and we'll have more episodes in the coming days, kind of leaning into some of these hires when they're made. But I think that's uh, I don't know. Ho hopefully, I gave you a decent picture of Clint as yeah. offensive coordinator and definitely hoping things go smoothly because I'm just waiting for, you know, right off the bat hearing, well, you know, Derek Carr and the rest of the offense are learning a new system, blah, blah, blah. N nobody wants to hear that heading into this season. No. And, and I do think, you know, I, I, I talked to Tommy Tucker on the air this morning about this and, 
if if I'm looking for reasons that, you know, last year you were like, well, okay, learning a new system, that took a little while. It wasn't as, as, as finely tuned of a machine as you wanted it to be early in the season. There was also the process of learning the playmakers and, and learning how, how your teammates like to do certain things and learning how they like to run certain routes. Juwan Johnson, I think, is a good example of that. I think throughout the season there were kind of fits and starts where, okay, this isn't, this isn't the way that I'm used to it. This is how you run it and this whole thing. So I think, oh, I don't know if as important as learning the system and being comfortable in the system, being comfortable with your playmakers and being comfortable with how they operate and how they run routes and how they communicate with like a Chris Olave, Rashid Shahid, Kendra Miller, Alvin Kamara, Juwan Johnson. I think that's being a step forward in that process is going to help Clint and the new staff install. Um, and that's my hopeful take, but yeah, it, it's going to be very, very frustrating if we get to week six and we're like, Oh, he's just learning. He's still learning. No, can't be that. No. And Dennis Allen definitely doesn't want that either because, uh, I think, you know, obviously going into this season, he's going to be one of those coaches talked about on the hot seat for 2024 as he should be. Um, because, because he is for good reason, but all right, that's going to wrap up this episode of inside black and gold. The first episode of the season three. Uh, we'll be having plenty more. I'd like to get an updated mock draft at you soon, so that'll be something we can get into maybe next week. Where's the champagne? This it's too early for champagne. I, I'm it's post Mardi Gras. I don't need alcohol. And yeah, and <laughs> we're need, trying to need, detox. Need to go for a jog. That's what I need. Let's have a yeah. celebratory season three uh, jogging session. The soft jet. Um, yeah, but all right. Thanks everyone for listening. Who that? Go Saints. Playoffs are bust this year, Jeff, for the pod. That's what we said last year. It worked. No, it did. All right, y'all. Be easy. Peace. Later.